This is episode number 267 with Elliot Bisnow. Welcome to the Melissa Ambrosini Show. I'm your host, Melissa, best-selling author of Mastering Your Mean Girl and Open Wide. And I'm here to remind you that love is sexy, healthy is liberating, and wealthy isn't a dirty word. Each week, I'll be getting up close and personal with thought leaders from around the globe, as well as your weekly dose of motivation so that you can create epic change in your own life and become the best version of yourself possible. Are you ready, beautiful? If you want to listen to my episodes one day earlier than they are released anywhere else, you have to download the app Himalaya and follow my show. Himalaya is free, super easy to use, and has every podcast you can think of. I love that you can leave comments under each episode and even create episode playlists. Make sure you check it out today. Biznow is the founder of The Summit Group, a family of companies which includes The Summit Series, an organization best known for hosting global flagship events that unite the leaders of today and tomorrow. His Summit Series events features icons such as Richard Branson, Jessica Alba, Brene Brown, Al Gore, and many more. He is a renowned startup investor having made almost 50 early-stage investments, including Uber, Allbirds, CoinPass, Bowl & Branch, ClassPass, and Poshmark. At the age of 20, he started his first venture with his dad out of his college dorm room. Over the next decade, they grew the business into the largest commercial real estate media company in the world and it was acquired in 2016 by Wix Group for $50 million. He is the co-owner of America's largest ski resort, Powder Mountain. He co-manages Summit's Consumer Tech Venture Fund, the Summit Action Fund, and sits on the board of Linbald Expeditions. As a renowned entrepreneur, he is a sought-after speaker and has been featured in the New York Times, Wall Street Journal, The Economist, Bloomberg Businessweek, The Times Magazine, and Fast Company. Pretty impressive. And you know what? One thing I love about Elliot is he is so successful, yet incredibly humble. And I'm so excited for you to hear his humility in this episode, because we chat about his story and how his life plan changed during college how Elliot got started as an entrepreneur, why you don't need a big idea to be an entrepreneur. We also talk about how Elliot created the Summit Series and brought it to life, how to build relationships with high-level people, the importance of culture building, how to organize impactful and life-changing events, how being unique and staying true to yourself can result in a memorable experience, the importance of high cool and low cost. I loved his take on this. The importance of building foundation and momentum, how to nurture your relationships and connect with people on a deeper level, why Elliot embraces and celebrates being different, what he attributes his success to, plus so much more. And for everything that we mentioned in today's episode, you can check out in the show notes. And that is over at melissaambrosini.com forward slash 267. 
And before we dive into this epic conversation, I want to read the review of the week. And this week, it's a five-star review titled Amazing by Steph Platten. And Steph says, I absolutely love this podcast. Every single episode is so different and refreshing. I love how many different people are on here and you get to hear about their life and their health tips. It's helping me to become more aware of my health and fitness journey. So thank you, Melissa, for creating this amazing podcast. Thank you, Steph, for writing such a beautiful, heartfelt five-star review. I'm so grateful. And don't forget that if you want to be the review of the week for next week, all you have to do is head on over to iTunes and leave me that five-star review right now. I would be super duper grateful. And now, without further ado, let's bring on the incredible Elliot Biznow. Elliot, welcome to the show. I'm so pumped for this conversation. But before we dive in, can you tell us what you had for breakfast this morning? No breakfast. The best thing that I have done in the last two years for feeling great and for my health has been not eating before noon generally. Yep. I've heard about it. Intermittent fasting. I used to do it. Lots of people do it. And you feel good? I feel incredible. I, I'm I'm shocked that it it is the most impactful thing I've done. I've actually gone back to eating a lot more of whatever I want and feeling great, not trying to cut nearly as many things out. And I just find that as soon as I eat, I lose all my energy. But in the morning, I'm just buzzing and feeling great. <laughs> well, I can feel your energy from all the way over in America. So I'm so pumped to have you here. And for you to share your story. So from such a young age, you have done, created, and achieved so much. And and some people would say you have created and achieved the impossible. So can you take us back and tell us how you got to where you are today? And did you always have this dream big attitude? The main problem for me growing up was that I always wanted to do and create, but I just got put in a structure with school where I had to sit and I had to listen. And I think that led to me and millions of people around the world underachieving. So as soon as I got to college and I had more freedom to create outside of classes, that's when my entrepreneurial drive came to life. So for me, it started and I was in my college dorm room. My parents didn't give me any money. And I was eating the dorm room food that I didn't like. And I remember, you know, going to Chipotle and, you know, not getting toppings because it was too much money. And I saw an, a person across the hall, a couple floors down uh, from me screen printing t-shirts. And I asked them what they were doing. And they said they had their own small business where they made funny t-shirts. And it blew my mind. I asked them, who do you work for? Like who hired you to do that? And whose screen printing press does that belong to? And the entrepreneur explained to me, he saved his money for the screen printing press. And then he built his own website. He learned how to code and he just sold these funny t-shirts online. He was the RA, the resident advisor who kind of looks after the dorms, who is a few years older than me. So being the RA that covered his cost of living. And then he made a thousand dollars a month that he could use for his college tuition. And it, that really was, it wasn't a, a light bulb media moment in that second, but it was like, I went back to my dorm room and it was like that night, the next day, the day after, 
what? You can create your own business? It blew my mind. I mean, I called my parents. I said, I've been trying to figure out who I'm going to work for and what bucket I'm going to fit into after college. And this person is creating his own dream. And I had never heard that you could be an entrepreneur growing up. So from that moment on, a spark was lit. And I was 18 years old. And I was go, go, go. And I went back to that person. I said, can I be your partner on this t-shirt business? Can Let's try to come up with another business. And that was it. And were your parents entrepreneurs or no? Not at all. I didn't know anyone who was an entrepreneur when I grew up. I didn't even know the word entrepreneur. The most successful people where I went to school were lawyers or doctors. And it was totally out of the realm of possibilities that I could start my own business. And it was actually a big problem hearing about successful business people because it was so far out of the realm of possibilities what good was it to hear about the founder of Apple? I couldn't equate that to how they started Apple. So I didn't even, it didn't even fathom to me that someone could start their own business or nonprofit or start your own band or become an artist on your own. I really thought until that moment, my freshman year of college, that I would need to leave college and go find someone who I would work for. So then what happened after that initial inspiration in the dorm room? Like what was your first entrepreneurial journey? And then can you take us on your entrepreneurial journey and and how you got to where you are today? Well, the first thing that happened was we tried to do the t-shirt company, but like anyone with their first startup, you just make tons of mistakes. And you know, ultimately that t-shirt company didn't really go anywhere, but we had another big idea. And our big idea was to create a consulting firm for all the stores and shops in our college town where we would get the college students to be the consultants and the stores would hire us. So my friend and I put together the business plan and the concept and we went out pitching and trying to you know, get stores to hire us, but that did not work and it took an entire year. And so on the surface, it was a colossal failure because my sophomore year had come and gone. We'd made no money. I'd spent you know, the rest of my, what was already meager savings and we had nothing to show for it. But the truth in hindsight was that I'd now spent a year and a half with this entrepreneur, first on the t-shirt company, then on this new startup, working nonstop in a creative way that had never even been a possibility to me before. And every one of my mistakes and all my failures and all the sales pitches and all the stores I walked into were all new skills that I was learning on overdrive. And so after sophomore year, when it felt to everyone else, what what is Elliot doing? He looks like a failure. I was feeling more confident than ever because I knew I had a whole new skill set. And so that set me up for the summer before my junior year. My dad had started a business, an email newsletter about commercial real estate. And there's a great quote that I love, which is the riches are in the niches. And what that means is everyone tries to start these big global companies, these big national companies, but everyone overlooks their communities, their towns, and their cities. But these cities and towns are huge, thriving marketplaces. And because they're so overlooked, there's tons of opportunity there. And my dad was really interested in commercial real estate in Washington, D.C. He was interested in the buildings and the stories and everything in a city except houses is commercial. The yoga studio is in a commercial building and your favorite restaurants are in commercial buildings. And nobody wrote about commercial real estate. 
anywhere. You'd have to get a, a weekly newspaper and you could see some boring blurbs. And so he and I had this concept for like People Magazine for commercial real estate, as well as really fun events. Because in commercial real estate, it sounds like such a boring industry, but it's people's livelihoods. And all the events were so monotonous and boring and drab. And with this idea, what if we brought really fun, interesting industry events and really fun people magazine-like news to commercial real estate? And so my dad had started it. Another important observation is too many people think to be an entrepreneur, they need to have the big idea. And that's not true at all. And in this case, I didn't have the idea. My dad started sending this email newsletter out to a couple hundred people in his email database. And I heard and I thought, wow, that's really interesting. What if we tweak this and make it more interesting and put in photos? And what if I'm your ad salesperson? And so, you know, the best way to start a business is actually to join someone else's business because there's way more ideas out in the open than ideas that you can have in your head. And if you know what your skills are, maybe you're a salesperson, maybe you're a computer programmer, maybe you're a designer, maybe you love HR. Every business needs these skills. And every single great company has its startup phase. And that startup phase isn't for one or two months. That startup phase is for a couple years. And so I jumped on board with my dad. He'd been sending newsletters for a few months. We changed things up and we got going and he became the writer and I was the salesperson. And over 10 years, we built the business city by city by city to be hyper-local news for each city. The who, the what, you know, is happening in commercial real estate in your city. And we sold the business in 2016. There's over a million readers a day now around the world that read news about what's happening in commercial real estate in their city. And there's more than 300 conferences a year that the company puts on about commercial real estate in their city. And so again, the big takeaway is, you know, do something local and jump into something that someone else has started. Ask them to be a part of their founding team. They can make you a founding partner or a co-founder retroactively. You don't have to have the idea and you don't have to be there on day one. Love that. Love it. So how did the Summit Series come about? Where does that then fit into your story? So when I left college, which was in the middle of my junior year, I didn't know anyone. And the reason I left college, it wasn't because I got kicked out. It wasn't because I hated school. I really love school. I love the people I, I left with. I, I, I love the people that I, 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 were, I, I got to know and, and went to school with. I left college because the whole point of college was to figure out what you're doing after college. And when I realized halfway through my junior year, I'm doing what I love, I thought, why would I take 18 more months here in school? Let me just go do it. And so I left school, but the problem was I didn't know anybody. I had no contacts, no friends, no mentors in the business world. I didn't know any entrepreneurs. And the way that Summit started is I cold called people that I read about in, you know, Inc. Magazine or Entrepreneur Magazine. And I said, hey, I'm an entrepreneur and I would love to get together a group of 20 other entrepreneurs so we can collaborate together and have a new peer group and trade you know, big ideas. And another huge mistake that people make is they try to find mentors that are way out of their league. And this, that is not what I did. I didn't call Richard Branson and some other very famous people. I called people just at my level and I built my own scene and my own crew. And if you look at all of our heroes, they came up 
with their own scene, with their own crew. They weren't mentored by other really famous people. And so when I left school, my concept was just, I want to meet other entrepreneurs. So I cold call them. And it's one of the biggest recommendations I make to people is find other people in your town, in your community, in your region, in your city, and reach out to them. If they're your level and they're just like you, they will love to hear from you. Hey, I'm a podcast host in Australia and I'm looking to get together the other, you know, podcast host. Hey, I'm Elliot. I'm an entrepreneur in Washington, DC. I'm looking to just meet other entrepreneurs. And people will really react. If someone wrote me that right now, I would be excited to meet them. And so that's what I did. I literally cold called people, but it wasn't a crazy cold call because I wasn't cold calling people out of my league. I was just cold calling people who answered the phone. And those people over the last decade ended up becoming very famous and well-known. Not all of them, but some of them, Blake from Tom Shoes, the founder, was on the first summit trip. I had cold called him and he only had two employees and they had just done their first giveaway of 10,000 shoes. And the founders of Vimeo and College Humor, they were on the first trip. They had just started that company and they just answered the phone. In fact, one of them, they had a thing when they thought someone was kind of crazy, which perhaps my pitch was a little kooky. Um, they would tell the person that it sounded amazing and they would give their other co-founder, co-founder's cell phone number to the, to the kind of crazy person. So in my case, they gave me, um, Josh's cell phone number and I called him thinking this was going to be the best pitch and he was going to be so excited. Um, and sure enough, it worked. Wow. So how did you get their numbers in the first place? Again, they weren't very high level at the time. They were entrepreneurs and they were company founders, but you know, they might have 10 employees or 40 employees. When when Tony Shea came to the second summit event from Zappos, you know, he had just gotten involved with Zappos. He was not well known. I, I don't recall there was almost any press about him at the time. It's not like calling the founder CEO of Zappos today. And so you could just call their office and I would say, hi, this is Elliot Biznow. I'm looking for X, Y, and Z. And sometimes they would just put me through. And other times they say, what are you calling about? I say, oh, I'm also a local entrepreneur. This is you know, my business. And I'm actually doing a ski trip for 20 really game-changing entrepreneurs in six months. And I was calling to invite X, Y, and Z to the trip. I thought they'd really, really like it. And sometimes they put me through. Other times they said, oh, that's nice. Can you send them an email? And I'd send them an email. So there was a little bit of, you know, pushing, but it wasn't, it wasn't like a year long campaign to break down the doors of, you know, Barack Obama. <laughs> yeah, right. And so I would love to hear what are some of the biggest learnings? You know, I don't think anything is a mistake or a regret, but what are some of the biggest learnings that you would give and pass on to early entrepreneurs? Having co-founders is incredible for so many reasons. Going at something alone is really hard. It can be really depressing. Every startup is going to have hard moments. And when you don't have anyone to turn to and you don't have anyone to be stand shoulder to shoulder with, it's just, you may not even make it through the hard times. And if you do, you're going to be battered and beaten. You're not going to have someone to, you know, collectively rise out of the mud with you. And so I love having co-founders. And on top of that, there's no better feeling than building a team. And so many people think, you know, their number one obligate, you know, their number one goal is to make money. Number two is the product. Number three is the customer. Number four is the team. I mean, number one is the team. That is the, my favorite part 
of all the years is all the incredible people who I got to work with. We got to create our own culture. You know, when you go to think of the cultures you've experienced in your life, your high school culture, your college culture, your first job culture, and there's probably some things you like and a lot of things you don't like. And when you have your own company, you get to make your own culture. What kind of people do you want to work with? What kind of diversity do you want to be around? What kind of ideas do you want to have shared? How do you want people to feel? How do you want, you know, what do you want the mission to be? And so having going, starting with co-founders and building a team, the reward is right there. And on the back of a great team and shoulder to shoulder with a great team, you can then fulfill your mission and your vision of whatever it is that you want to launch. Another big mistake that almost every startup makes is they are way far in front with the big vision and they're not nearly aligned with proper governance and a board and, and, and conversations that ground them into reality. And you don't want people that hold you back and tell you you're not going to be successful, but some strong financial minds and some people who will check you on your biggest ideas is really important. And you can't just raise venture round after venture round. I mean, venture capital in many cases isn't even a good thing. I mean, you're supposed to build a business or a nonprofit or be a musician where, where it just works and you're making money and that money you can reinvest or you know, you can take some out and the concept of continuing to, you know, build the pyramid of venture capital. And one day in 10 years, you'll come out the other end and sell the company. You know, I'm not into that at all. I mean, the dream is to have your dream, your business for many, many years, for many decades. And so sometimes it's right to sell it. But I think building a company with co-founders, you want to stand side by side with a team that you love, you know, so often I f see people and when they talk about the product, there's no passion behind them. Well, what's the point of having a product you're not in love with? Well, just go get a job somewhere else. I mean, you shouldn't have to hit your customers over the head for the product. I mean, build something you're absolutely in love with and then build something you want to be a part of for a, a really long time. Mm, love that. You have a knack for creating life-changing, transformational, surreal experiences, which you've done very well with your Summit Series. So how do you go about creating these life-changing events like that? Because whether someone is wanting to create a memorable event for maybe like 30 people or 3,000 people, what are some of the key things that you need to consider to make it impactful and life-changing? Well, the first thing is that anything you do, especially events, it needs to be different. That's just a foundation of an event. D there is no point to do a music festival that's the same as all the others with a small tweak or, you know, a dinner party that's just like any other dinner party. And so you really want to come at any event concept you have and be asking yourself, why am I doing this? And how's it going to be different? And you know, whether that's a dinner party, you know, a dinner party at a really nice restaurant, it doesn't move the needle. But a dinner party in, for example, we did in New York City, all we could find was kind of an outdated old loft with like dingy hallways and a kind of gross elevator back in the early days. And we thought, wow, this could be a unique dinner that no one's ever experienced. We'll have to do it at night. Of course, we won't do a brunch or lunch. We do it at night. We're going to put candles through all the hallways. We're going to have a little, you know, a uh, record player or a portable stereo in the elevator playing like, you know, really trippy, weird music. And then you'll walk down a hallway to this apartment 
And then we're going to do a one table that everyone sits at. We're going to turn off every light in the apartment. We're going to light it by lamps. So that won't cost any money. And then, you know, that kind of a concept. Now you've just taken, oh, I want to do a dinner for 15 people. And instead of an expensive dinner at a restaurant where you can't control the tables and the music's too loud and everyone goes to restaurants all the time, now it's a dinner that people talk about for years and years and years. It doesn't cost any money. You use your friend's apartment, but you get really creative with that. And I think it's the same concept for you know any type of event is how's it going to be different? When we started our real estate business, these events were just really boring, kind of networking, transactional conferences. I mean, it was it was like a, it was like a nightmare to walk into these things. And okay, how can we change that? Because the people, people are amazing, and the people here are outstanding. So, what can we do that's different? Let's really, you know, have more interesting food options. Let's put them at you know more interesting venues, not in you know below ground conference hall pits. Let's you know let's have let's have music on you know during the part where people are you know meet, meeting everyone else. Let's keep the panels a lot shorter. Let's have really interesting moderators. Let's you know, there's so many ways you can turn any type of event on its head. Mm, I love that. And it makes it so exciting. My husband and I, well, my third book and the first book that we've ever written together is out September 2020. And right now we're thinking, okay, we want to do a book tour. And we're like, we want this to be like nothing else that we've ever experienced before or anyone's experienced. So you really do have to think outside the box and then do something that lights you up. You know, it's got to bring you joy. Otherwise, you won't want to do it. Well, there's no soul in a PR firm telling someone, all right, let's pick the five biggest cities and do a book tour. And, you know, everyone can feel the inauthenticity of that and the monotony of that. And it's at these places. So you really have to step back and say, if I was going to attend a book tour, what would be amazing? Okay, maybe it's some sort of morning yoga flow in the, at Bondi Beach. And, you know, then there's going to be a circle that we're all going to be in and it's going to be questions. And, you know, maybe, you know, your husband's going to take anyone on a run, like just something that's the most important thing is being different and doing something unique and doing something in your truth. And so for us, when we ask, what do we want to do? It has to be things that we want to be a part of. No one's going to yank my collar and drag me to do something boring. We're always going to check ourselves, okay, how can this book event be incredible? Because the reality is it can be. It can be awesome. It can be, it can be in a random, you could collect everyone's phone numbers who wants to come and text them you know, one hour ahead of time, like the dinner on Blanc, and tell them the surprise location in the park. And so I think everyone, when they, when they do events, you know, should think differently. And look, events is, is our passion. You know, everyone needs to ask themselves, what are they good at? Because everybody has a skill. And, you know, I'm not a masterful computer programmer or masterful technologist. I really like people and I like getting them together. And I like good events. So I try to put myself in my own head of what would I want to be at? And, and now with Summit Events today, you know, we just announced that our next event in 2020 is going to be Summit at Sea. At the end of May in 2020, we've done three of them before. It's our most popular event in history. But the first one, we did it in 2011. And we had been doing conferences, you know, fun conferences, good music, good content, but they're always in hotels. And we thought, what's the most different kind of event we can do? Because we don't really want to build a conference. We want to build a multidisciplinary music, art, and content festival. 
And our thought was, well, you know, these big festivals are 50 or 80,000 people. So that doesn't feel right. And these conferences are so businessy and they're always in hotels. I mean, what could we do that's a hybrid and a beautiful place? And we had this concept, what if we chartered a ship for, you know, 2,500 people? And what if on the ship we had music on the decks, you know, by where people could be swimming all night and you're in the middle of the ocean cruising through and there's, you know, content all day where you can learn and have a have a content and ideas festival and there's art and there's incredible people. So, you know, arriving at that summit at sea idea was because we kept questioning, you know, what can a conference be? What can an event be? So awesome. I can, you know, just imagine everyone's brains ticking right now going, a ship, like, what can I do? Like, it's so inspiring. It really is truly inspiring to just even hear how your brain works. But I want to know for someone who's maybe more in the startup stages and they're just beginning their entrepreneurial journey and maybe they don't have a lot of capital to invest in huge events, like what would be your advice to them? Well, I think you you can do events for free. So we have this saying, high, cool, and low cost. We always think about that. What's the highest value of cool and the lowest cost? So the opposite of that would be paying the most famous imaginable band so much money. And there's a good value, maybe a very good value, but the cost is off the charts. So what would be high, cool, and low cost? Coming up with three or four incredible artists who aren't well-known, but they're the future in your mind, and they're what's next. You don't have to pay them almost anything, and maybe some some of them will do it for free because they're looking for exposure. And so you now, and then to label yourself as someone who's thinking forward, thinking in the future. I don't think it's that neat to book somebody who's already famous. You want to be bleeding edge, just like technology. And then maybe even down the road in a few years, everyone will think, wow, I remember I saw that person at that event before they were well-known, and they'll think of even more in the years later as a trendsetter. And so I think everything can be done at almost no money. You know, everything can be done very, very cost-efficiently. But I think when you jump into the system and you start going to conference venues and you start going to expensive hotels and you start going to you know, famous, you know, big, famous international cities. I mean, you're now in the system. Everything's going to be expensive. You have to order the minimums from the from the various hotels, from the various restaurants. And so better questions are, okay, well, who's an up-and-coming chef I could find? And again, maybe they'll do it for free because they want to build their name, or maybe they'll do it really affordably and they'll source local food, which is a way better story. And that food will also be a lot cheaper. Oh, and where could we host it? I mean, who do we know in this city? I remember in Washington, D.C. in 2010, we had an event and we needed a venue and we cold called one of the wealthiest people in the city. We didn't have any right to cold call them. We, we, it was a cold email, cold call. And we, we, you know, we, we wrote, you know, we have, you know, 50 change makers coming in. Would you want to host them for an incredible dinner in your backyard? And they said, yes, it made it, you know, we may have called a few people and one in three said yes, but they, this older, successful, wealthy person wanted to have cool young people come to their house. They paid for all the food. We did it in the backyard. The lighting was incredible. Then we were able to go back to our community and say, we have this incredible venue and even more people wanted to come. So there, for events, I mean, you can be so creative. 
Mm, absolutely. Absolutely. What do you think is the best way to approach? I mean, it's different for you now because you have built this empire and you have a name and you're well known in the industry. But for someone who is starting out, maybe to reach out to these bigger names, like, I mean, how would you approach it? Like, do you send an email? Like, what is the best way to approach those bigger, more higher profile people? So before you go to anyone high profile, you have to build the foundation and you have to build momentum. So if no one knows my name and my, and 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 I write a cold email or a cold call to someone well-known, it will never work. It's less than one in a thousand. There's no point, even if it was one in a hundred, it's, you don't want that. And so you need to build the foundation. And the foundation is built in a handful of pieces. So the first is, you need to create the event that's unique. That's the product. So you have to create the event that's unique. You have to set the date. You have to set the environment. And it has to really feel special. And the key for events, you have to own a niche. Going back to the riches are in the niches. One reason I started my event is when I was 22, I didn't get invited to the TED conference. I didn't get invited to Davos. I I didn't get invited to these places. And I thought, wow, if I'm not getting invited, are these other people? And they weren't. And that's why they said yes, because we Summit became an event for, you know, originally millennials and people part of the entrepreneurial movement. And so it was unique. So number one, that that is a foundational element is setting the date and setting unique event. The next thing is you need to build momentum. Before you go for someone famous, you have to start building the lineup of the event. Every event has a lineup. And, you know, at a festival, that'll be your musicians. At a business conference, that'll be your speakers. You know, at a yoga event, that could be your yoga teachers, right? So you have a lineup. For some, our, our events are multidisciplinary. So it's music, speakers, art, but you'll have your lineup and you need to start building that lineup and you need to thoughtfully build the lineup. You need to build the lineup ground up. You need to start with people kind of at your level. And as you build the lineup, you build momentum. And so it's even like that today with a summit event. We don't, you know, when we have a huge speaker, you know, it could be Martha Stewart or John Legend or, you know, the CEO of Uber or whoever one of these people are, Al Gore. We don't call them the day we put our event in the calendar. We build the foundation and the momentum as well. We design the event. We start booking other speakers. We, we build momentum. And so when it's time to go to that big fish, we can say, let us tell you about what we have planned. On this date, at the end of May, we've chartered this cruise ship. And we're going to have this many people coming. And here's 25 of the other speakers that are going to be there. And here's the types of attendees that are going. And here's a link to the website. And, and so you have to build this momentum. And the final part is the best way to get someone high profile is to get an introduction because you will almost never be able to send them a cold email or reach out. And so that introduction can be based on generally knowing the person who's going to introduce you to that person for at least six months. But at times, it's taken people eight years to make us an introduction. And so that may not be the news you want to hear, but you know, great relationships aren't built on a first date. 
And a great organization or nonprofit isn't built on one cold call or one new relation, one, one new person that you meet. And so you'll need to build relationships and build trust and prove your integrity. And almost all of our big speakers, almost every single one is connected to us through an introduction by someone else who came to Summit or got to know us and trusted us and saw what we were offering, thought that person, that big name would gain value from coming to Summit and knew that we would deliver. Mm, Love that so much. How do you personally nurture your relationships and really invest into them? Well, what I don't do is put everyone into a bucket or into an email list and just treat them as all, you know, one big group. I mean, you know, relationships, customers, clients. I mean, you want to be doing something where you love them. And if it's not love, you deeply care about them. You really, you understand the humanity in each person, you know, in each person who buys your product, in each person who listens to your podcast, in each person who comes to our event. These are human beings with families, with their own journeys, with their own stories. And I think the first thing is most people just skip over that. They think, well, I've got 4,000 people in my database. What's the best way to stay in touch? It's like, well, back up. I mean, the first thing is these are each of them human beings and they're each different and they each have their own unique life story. And, you know, when you start there, you can start to break people up and relationships into different groups. And maybe there are some people that there's a way to keep them up up to date through through emails or sharing through social but there's other people that you know you want to keep up to, you know you want to stay connected with you know if if it's your really closest 25 people you know you really want to go over the top i mean um you know it's it's remembering their birthdays it's you know helping people out you know when they need your help it's when they have something bad happen you're there for them so when i'm answering your question how do i nurture relationships i'm not necessarily thinking about you know, clients or I'm thinking about in general, I really try to care about people and I really try to help them and I try to be there for them. And so you want to build real authentic relationships with people. And so much of the world is inauthentic. You know, the, the best thing you can do is, you know, staying in touch with people, staying connected with people. I only do phone calls on FaceTime and it's been two years. And if someone doesn't have FaceTime, I'll do WhatsApp video. But if someone won't do a FaceTime or WhatsApp video call with me, then I won't talk to them. And I will just pass on that relationship. Because in today's day and age, everyone has FaceTime or WhatsApp video. And it's the best way to connect with them. So when I'm calling people, I'm always FaceTiming. And it may be a little harder to get them on the phone or there may be a little awkwardness. But it's a real way to look someone in the eye and be connected. Oh, I love that so much because I do the same thing. So I FaceTime a lot of my friends, but I'm going to employ that rule. One thing that I did many years ago was I got Voxer, which is like WhatsApp. So it's just voice messages. So I stopped text messaging people because Mm. I really feel like you can't really, you know, you don't really hear the tone in someone when they're text messaging. So I stopped text messaging And now I vox and I send beautiful, you know, voice messages to people. But I love that you do that with FaceTime. I think that is so powerful. I do it with a few people, but you have inspired me to do it even more. And, you know, as you know, before we started recording this interview, I got on Skype video with you because 
I wanted to see your face. I wanted to connect with you. I wanted to look you in the eyes. And ideally, I would, you know, if I did all of my interviews in person, I would love to be sitting down in a lounge room with you recording this, but that isn't going to happen right this moment. So that's the next best thing is being able to see someone through the screen and connect with them because it makes it so much more real and it really does deepen that relationship and you can connect. So I love that. You have fully inspired me with that. All right, game on. <laughs> so next time we connect, it's going to be through video for sure. I'm in. I, I, it came out somewhere that I do this. And so every time I call someone not on video, maybe it's a 10 second question or I don't have good enough service for a video. Everyone says, I thought you're only video only. And I say, okay, 98% of the time, video only. <laughs> okay. I'll say that too. So everyone listening, all my friends listening, my family listening, you're going to get video calls from you me know, from now on. <laughs> I do a lot of Instagram video calling. I find it's the oh. perfect way because I, I like connecting with random people from all over the world. And especially because of Alex Benayan's book, The Third Door, I'm bombarded every day with dozens and dozens of messages and, and all really thoughtful, great messages about, you know, can I be their mentor? And I find that on Instagram video, I can literally just push video and the person answers. And then, well, every call I've ever had has been really great because Again, all everyone who's written me has had really thoughtful, amazing, inspiring notes they've written me. But I theoretically, if someone wasn't, it's just you can just hit block. And it's so much easier than giving away your phone number. That is so true. I didn't even know you could do calls through Instagram. I had no idea. Well, we'll see if you call some people on Instagram. All right. What's next? Let's go. Yeah. All right. So... I want to know, have you always had this big, you know, dream big, I can do anything attitude? Definitely not. I think the biggest thing that I've embraced over the last five or seven years is being different because just growing up, being different was the worst thing that you could do. It was all about conforming in my school and being part of a system and, and being like everyone else. In any way you're different, you would get picked out or or you just, it just, you didn't want to go about like that. And I think my realization that being different is the best thing possible. There's nothing better than being different. Your event should be different, your company should be different, and you should be different. And that's what makes us special. And you should be different in your own quirky, unique, way. And that's how people remember you. That's why people like you. And because the truth is, we're all unique, different people. Anything besides being different is inauthentic. Yeah. Love that. Love it so much. And, and as soon as, yeah, and as soon as I started being different and just being myself, I think that helped empower me to just in general live more of my truth. I, I would also go back to having co-founders to stand shoulder to shoulder with is has been the most empowering thing I've done. You know, I have my parents, I have my brother, I have my wife, but the people when I'm building my business, they're my business partners and my co-founders. And if I didn't have them trying, it would be... I think impossible to do any of the things that we've done because a business does not get built or an album recorded 
or a nonprofit started because some smart person goes into a room by themselves or a cabin in the woods and comes up with a big idea and executes it. And that is such a, there's a, there's, it's, it's like the hero's journey. It, it, and it's, it's, it's nonsense and it's not real, right? The hero's journey of the, of the amazing individual who does X, Y, and Z. And so as soon as you can have awareness that that is not reality, that that's an advertising campaign, the brilliant person with all the ideas, none of our heroes actually followed into this solo hero's journey. And so with that realization, building your team and the people to stand shoulder to shoulder with you, that will let you dream bigger, also have people give you reality check of what parts of your dreams aren't going to work, and then people to go do it with you. Mm. Now, everyone's definition of success is different. It's unique and it's special to them. But I want to know, what do you attribute your success to? Well, I'm way less attached to business success than most people that I've met. I mean, I find the notion of business success just to be a part of my life. I mean, for me, having integrity, having values, having a well-rounded life, having days where I wake up and I'm really happy and I love the people that I'm around, th that to me is the definition of success. So I would say I really love listening and having self-awareness. So when it comes to success, I've set my own definitions of success. I've set business goals and I, I have, you know, what I think would be a successful, um, like I have a vision for a successful marriage and a happy family and the, you know, setting the time I spend with my, you know, 11 month old son. And, and then I try to be really aware of because all of us are imperfect. That's the nature of being a person. And I try to be really aware and I try to really listen, um, to people around me who can tell me, you know, where I can show up more where, and, and where I can, you know, be a better friend or, or, you know, partner or dad. Mm, that's beautiful. Now, I believe we're all working on ourselves. Like you said, we're not perfect and we're, you know, continuously growing and evolving. So what's something that you're working on or would like to improve within yourself at the moment? Well, every year I pick three different things that I'm going to dedicate myself to try and learn because I realized, you know, all of us, if we're building something, you could be the best musician in the world, but functionally you could lack a lot of basic skills. You know, you, you, you could be the best business person in the world and you've got an assistant and you're, you know, not connected to your family and you have anger issues. And so I've really tried to be self-aware about this. And I realized I have a lot of things I have no idea how to do. I don't know how to play any instruments. I, I don't know how to cook. I, I, I don't know how to use tools. I don't know how to farm. You know, I don't know any of these things. And I realized that a few years back, and I made this commitment that each year I was going to try to learn three new things in my spare time. And I was going to really dedicate myself to them. And so in 2018, I cooked a thousand meals. Like I would take like a couple days a week from like 8 p.m. to 2 a.m. And I would cook six or eight meals each time. And I would go online and I would find recipes and I would have cookbooks. And I also in 2018, I learned how to farm. I realized we all preach about the food system and we're very progressive and we think we know the future of the world. But I never planted a seed before, literally. 
And I never watched a seed grow. And I never, you know, used a hula hoe and pulled out weeds. And, you know, I never dealt with insects or bugs. And I would talk about, you know, organic food. And I mean, I didn't know how that literally worked. And so I interned at a farm, you know, and, and, you know, I've done projects over the years, like learning construction. I never, you know, for example, with me, I never used, you know, basic power tools. I never worked on building a home. So I would have, I have immersed myself into all these different areas. Like with having a kid, I have, you know, worked from home for the last year because besides that, my just, I couldn't fathom how much I'm in love with my son, but I really wanted to be a part of it. I mean, this was something I knew nothing about and I fully immersed myself into every aspect of raising a kid. So I'm constantly trying to learn and I find that there's an unlimited abundance of things to learn that we don't know anything about. And I feel like that just continues on and on and on. And the deeper down, you know, the rabbit hole I go, the more there is. And and even within farming, that's such a generic term. I mean, one of my big goals and my wife's big goal is to be a beekeeper. And, and, you know, we, we read so much about bees and the importance of bees and the bee populations are dying. And I don't know anything about bees, you know, except some high level talking points. So that's something that really excites me. Whenever I have free time in the evenings and the afternoons and the mornings, I'm always trying to, you know, dive in to learn new things. What do you next want to learn? Well, definitely beekeeping is at the, is at the very top of the list. And I would say the, the thing besides that is I really want to go to a permaculture retreat for three weeks. That, that's been really hard to kind of find three weeks. So I've kind of hack jobbed it. But I really want to understand permaculture. And I, I really want to totally immerse myself into an environment where I can really learn about the natural systems and how we can grow food and live in harmony with them. And again, so I've been kind of learning that, you know, over time. But I think a really deep immersion, maybe when my son is four, it's, I don't want to wait three more years, but that could be a really fun thing. I'd like to live on a tent, in a tent, you know, at a permaculture retreat like Punta Mona in Costa Rica and, you know, spend, spend three weeks, you know, learning, mm. learning, about, learning about food. That sounds amazing. Now, let's pretend that you have a magic wand and you could put one book in the school curriculum of every single high school around the world. Now, besides your upcoming book, what is one book that you would choose? Well, I would definitely say The Third Door by Alex Benayan. It's how we got connected. And I've never seen a reception to a book like his. Great books have a viral coefficient which means people who read it, they don't just read it and say, oh, that was helpful. They literally rave about it. It's kind of the experience of people who go to Burning Man. They come back and they just beat every person over the head for months on end about how amazing Burning Man was. And if these people don't go, they're wasting their lives. And when you have a good book or a good product, your readers or your fans, they come back and everyone set, you know, literally thinks it's their mission to preach about your book. And so, you know, Alex Benayan's book, The Third Door, is a book I was involved with in terms of helping mentor Alex over the years. But when I saw over the last year how it has done, you know, it's the book that I most recommend to people. Oh, that's so beautiful. And I've had him on my podcast. So we'll link to his book and we'll link to the episode that I did with Alex for anyone who wants to check both of those out. 
Now, let's talk about how your day looks. I love hearing about how people prime themselves for the day and how they set themselves up for success. So can you tell us your morning routine and then how a typical, I know there's probably no standard day for you, but can you talk us through your morning routine and how your day unfolds? So over the last decade, I've had lots of different phases with how I've worked. I mean, there have been times where, you know, I've, gone into the office a lot. Or, you know, for example, I was at Powder Mountain this entire summer for five months. I did not leave Eden, Utah. And, you know, every day I'll, you know, pop into the office, I'll check on the team. You know, we own a 10,000 acre ski resort. There's four restaurants, nine, nine lifts, you know, there's 300 people that work there where we have 40 homes under construction. We're building a town, a boutique community on the mountain. So, when I'm in Utah all summer, I mean, I literally have my boots on and, you know, I'm on the mountain, I'm checking on different projects, I'm, I'm taking people all over who want, who want a tour, I'm checking on different issues. My wife and I have a farm in Utah, so I'm checking on that. And, you know, I'm also being in nature, I'm hiking, you know, I'm hiking most days, um, you know, in the evenings, it gets dark at 10 p.m. So, you know, we're really into paddleboarding, there's little beaches on our lakes on our lake. But for me, so it all changed when I had a kid. Before I had a kid, I would make this rule that I wouldn't schedule anything before noon. And so if you don't have a kid, this is the best scheduling strategy. Because if you don't schedule anything before noon, it means if you get on a roll the night before, maybe you have a dinner that goes till midnight, or maybe you just want to work and you know till 3am or be creative or journal or what have you, you can just wake up at 10am and you're still as efficient. You're getting work done, but you're kind of working in your flow state. And so that was a huge thing I did till a year ago is I just, some some nights I would go to bed at 10 o'clock, but lots of nights I would go to bed at two in the morning. And I would wake up the next day and I would always be rested because if I went to bed at two, I woke up at 10. And at that point, I got into my day. And in the morning, I would I would make calls and I would get into you know meetings and schedule things in the afternoon. But with a kid... The baby is the alarm and you're getting up at 7 a.m. every single day. So I definitely can't go to bed at 2 a- anymore. And now I'm, I'm adamant, you know, I go to bed at 9 a.m. But I wake up and I really like to get a great start on the day. So I'm obsessed with hot yoga. And I try, if I can, to do hot yoga, you know, three days a week. And I, I think the day is one when the day is started. You know, I don't, I've never read or heard about anyone successful who gets off to a slow start in their day. And so I think from the time you start, whatever your routine is, and everyone should have their own unique routine, you're hydrating, you're doing some physical exercise, you're going for a morning hike or walk. Everyone listening to this surfs every day in Australia or lives in a beautiful place there. So you're, you're, you know, you're getting into, you're getting into nature. And, you know, from there, I, I, I function best on kind of a free flow schedule. I do not like scheduling things. And again, I think it's important that everyone understands who they are. You know, some of the most successful entrepreneurs in the world, like Warren Buffett or Bill Gates, they're famous for only scheduling one thing a day because they're doing so much reading or they're, you know, they're feeling, you know, each day they're, they're understanding what, you know, business or area, part area of the business needs help and they're, calling and checking up on that business. So I tend to like a more free flow day because that way I can feel each day what really needs help, what needs work, what do I want to be getting involved in? And then 
I can get involved in that. So I generally don't schedule more than two things a day. That does not mean I don't have a call list and I have an action item list and I have a whole system. You know, I have a whole, I have all the I have emails in my inbox that I want to get through, but I, I personally do not like filling up my calendar with scheduled things. Mm, me too. I don't like it at all. Now, do you have a meditation practice? I do. I've been doing TM, Transcendental Meditation, for about six years. And I found that the most important part of the meditation isn't, of course, the actual meditation. It's not very hard to, you know, take a 10-day vacation and go to a mountaintop and close your eyes and be zen. The the real meditation work comes in the hardest situations you're in every day. And so if if you have a meditation practice or a yoga practice or a stillness practice, I mean, the most important part is not the practice. It's what you take from the practice. And then when you're in your most trying times of work or with your family, it's really, you know, being present to that, shifting from a, a state of they should listen to me or this is happening to me to, you know, how, how can I listen to this person or how can I understand the situation? And I love the quote, we see things not as they are, but as we are. And I think as we can shift to, a, a, again, a state of understanding, it, it's a total game changer for how we live our lives. And so when I started meditating, that's when I was able to shift into, into a much more listening and aware state. And of course, that's translated really well in all aspects of my life. Mm, beautiful. And do you still practice the meditation twice a day? It's gotten, I have this joke, <laughs> the short answer is no. I mean, there's times when I do, but I always joke that if I want to do yoga and I want to meditate twice a day and I want to cook some meals, and I want to spend time with my wife, and I want to spend time doing exercise and I want to spend time with my kid and call my friends, <laughs> I'm, I'm out of time and I haven't done anything. <laughs> I haven't done any work. <laughs> so, you know, I try to pick and choose. And, you know, if I'm doing a yoga, a yoga practice, I'm, I'm probably not meditating. I'm probably not med meditating the, those days. So I, I try to be pragmatic. I try to be a practical radical. You know, I, I have all these things, I have all these things that sound incredible and I try to balance them. And at the end of the day, my view is if I, you know, I have this list of things I want to do. And if I get most of it right, then I'm in a really good place. But I'm, I'm definitely, I am not a perfectionist. Mm, yeah, I love that. All right, I've got three rapid fire questions for you now. Are you ready? Yes. Okay. What's one thing that we can do today for our health? Be aware of the water that we're drinking. Mm, yeah. So powerful, so important. All right, the next one is what's one thing we can do for more wealth? So more abundance in all the areas of our life. I see way too many people deep in the minutia and they're just obsessed with solving today's problem. And of course we have to solve today's problems and these week's problems. But I have people, you know, they have a nonprofit and they, they need to make this fundraising goal in the next 30 days, and, and of course they do, That's, that is real, but they are missing a critical part, which is stepping back and slowing down to think, not just think bigger, but to think a lot more creatively. And I would say in, in our lives, we can be so stuck in the minutia of like, here's what I'm doing every day for my kid. Well, well maybe you should, we should all back up and let's really think about the, the next year to two years for our kid. Here's what I'm doing every single day for, you know, 
my, my, my health or my business. Okay, let's step back. And so I think the value of stepping back and then I'll give one more very practical, radical idea, a personal board of directors. It, it, you could think of this as like a, just a little group of five people. You know, it's almost like creating your own forum. And I found this is really helpful. Get a few of your friends together and ask them if they want to be a, a personal accountability board of directors to each other. One thing that happens, we're all, we all have smart people around us, every one of us, and we make a mistake which is that our conversations, it's very hard to have the conversations drop in to real practical questions and solutions. You know, you're not on a phone call and you say, hey, can I, can we take 45 minutes and can I ask you about something I'm dealing with in my life and can we really get into it? And let's get, you know, Sarah and John on the line as well. And so that that's something that can really, really help and is very practical. Mm, thank you for sharing. And what is one thing that we can do for more love in our life? Well, the more you give, the more you live. So I think the more the people that I love the most are the people who are the most giving. And my view has always been to, you know, the most selfish thing you can do is to give unselfishly. So how can you get more love would be to give more love. And I think, you know, shifting, we all love to be loved and we all love people to feel good about us. But the more we can just be in a state of giving and giving and giving and giving authentically and, and trying every day to put out more into the world than we're taking, every, I mean, everyone will feel that and everyone will want to take care of us more. Mm, yes, so true. This has been so awesome. Is there anything else that you want to share or any last parting words of wisdom or anything that I didn't ask you about that you really wanted to talk to? Well, I can't wait to come to Australia and <laughs> this has been great and I'm really appreciative of all the questions. Oh, me too. Thank you so much. This has been so beautiful and, you know, so many people talk about how kind you are and how generous you are and how authentic you are. And having this experience with you and chatting with you beforehand, I really did feel that. And now I, I know exactly what everyone was talking about. So I want to thank you for your time and also thank you for all the work that you're doing in the world. It's so amazing. And I'm a big believer in service and you are serving so many other people with all of your work and just with your kind heart. So how can I and the listeners serve you today? What can we do to give back to you? Well, go. everyone should go pursue their dreams and their passions. I mean, we've dedicated our life to building the Summit community and the world is built on communities. Within Summit, our vision is to help the activists within each of us. And, you know, at our events everyone's meeting, they're connecting, they're feeling inspired, and the activist inside of each of them, the, the progressive, the person who wants to, you know, make the change in their community, their town, their city, you know, that person comes alive, is empowered, and there's nothing more rewarding than seeing everyone going after their, going after their ambitions, going after their dreams, and I, I would love to hear from anyone. The best way, you can just message me directly on Instagram, and you know, if you want to check out any of the things I talked about, you can visit the Summit website. It's just summit.co or check out powdermountain.com. And I'm just, yeah, I love chatting and I'm really grateful to be a part of the amazing movement and community that you've built. Oh, 
Thank you so much, Elliot. This has been beautiful. I've absolutely loved hearing from you. I've got so many insights and beautiful nuggets of wisdom myself. So thank you so much for being here and for just showing up as your kind, authentic self. I can really feel it and it's really beautiful to connect. So thank you. Thank you so much. Have a great day. Wasn't that awesome? Such a great conversation. He's so humble and I just love that he's so generous with his time, with his wisdom, with his knowledge. I'm so grateful that he was able to come on the show and share all of that with you today. I got so much out of it. And if you did too, please subscribe and leave me a five-star review in iTunes or on your podcast app, because that means that we can inspire and educate even more people together. And it also means that you could potentially be the review of the week for next week, which is pretty awesome. And don't forget to come and follow me on Instagram at Melissa Ambrosini and tell me your top key takeaways from this episode. I absolutely love reading what you guys get from each show. So please come and share it with me. And for everything that Elliot and I mention in today's episode, you can check out in the show notes. And that's over at melissaambrosini.com forward slash 267. And you can also listen to all my other episodes there too. And before I go, I just wanted to say thank you so much for being here, for wanting to be the best, the healthiest, and the happiest version of yourself, and for showing up today for you. You rock. Now, if there's someone in your life that you can think of that would really benefit from this episode, please be an angel and share it with them right now. You can take a screenshot, share it on your social media, email it to them, text it to them. Do whatever you've got to do to get this in their ears. And until next time, my darling, don't forget that love is sexy, healthy is liberating, and wealthy isn't a dirty word.